morning, everyone. No, okay, there we go. Uh, I'm going to open with a general question here. How many of you, uh, when you were children or younger, tried zipping up yourself or a younger sibling in a suitcase? Just show of hands. Yeah, did you? Yeah, okay, nice. A few. I was curious to see how, uh, how universal that was. Not very, as it turns out. But I have vague memories of, of trying that with Olivia when we were much younger, of Caleb and I putting her in a suitcase and then like trying to take it down the stairs, which in retrospect was probably not all that safe, or in, and probably more fun for us than it was for her. Um, yeah, I, I doubt it looked the same at all. But later on in our biblical passage today, we'll have a story about hiding among baggage or among luggage. And what's ironic is that this hiding happens not because there's kids playing together. Uh, it happens after what should be a triumphant moment, the announcing of kingship. What a juxtaposition, huh? All right, that's enough of an intro, I think. I invite you all to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9, or maybe return if you are already there for the scripture reading. Now, the kind of focus I'm having today is on the initial call of, of Saul, these two chapters, but that was a, big, a bit big to read so, uh, for scripture reading, so we had a bit of a narrower focus. But I'd like to take a bit of time to walk through the text as a whole here. So this story starts by introducing us to Saul. Saul is a young man of Benjamin whose father is influential and wealthy and who himself is very tall and handsome. That's literally our introduction to him. The first thing scripture says is, this guy was attractive. That'll come back later, don't worry. And his father's donkeys have been lost, so Saul and his servant are out looking for them. And they've looked high and low, but they can't find them. And Saul's ready to call it quits. The servant, however, has an interesting idea. They should ask the prophet of God where, this, where the donkeys are. Now, separately, we read that the Lord has spoken to Samuel, the prophet of God, the previous day, and told him that he was going to anoint a king. So after getting directions from some, from some young women, Saul meets Samuel in the city gate as Samuel is on his way to a sacrifice. And Saul asks him, Can you tell us where the prophet is? And the Lord prompts Samuel, and he responds in, in verse 19, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? They're very strong words. And Saul is somewhat taken aback by them, but he goes along with Samuel and he feasts with him. And he's given the choicest cut of meat that was set aside. And the next day they exit the city together and Samuel tells Saul that the Lord has anointed him to be king of Israel and he gives him three signs. Now the first two are about people that he'll meet. And the third is that Saul is going to run into a group of prophets and he's going to prophesy alongside them. And all of these things come to pass, but Saul doesn't tell his family about any of them. And when they announce that he's king at an assembly shortly afterwards, he hides among the baggage rather than, than coming out. But they find him and they bring him out, and the people, some people seem to like him, some very much, and they go with him, and some not at all, and they talk trash about him, but Saul doesn't really do anything either way. And that's kind of a speed run of 1 Samuel 9 and 10. So, Time to dive in. 
The first thing I want to look at is what the Lord does in this story and how we can learn about him. I have five points on the Lord that I, I think this story makes. Now, the first and, and probably the most obvious one is how he was at work orchestrating these events. There's a great sense of purpose here. It seems to be that God was very intentionally preordaining everything that happened. Saul's servant just so happened to know about Samuel and have some silver with him. Uh, Saul just so happened to find Samuel just in time to join the feast. And at the end, he just so happened to be selected by Lot out of all of Israel. There's a lot of coincidences going on here. For Saul, this story starts as merely looking for donkeys and then finding out he'll be very important. But with the benefit of history, we can see that it was so much bigger than even that. This was the birth of Israel's monarchy, a massive new step in their story. But also in some ways it wasn't that new at its core. It was an upgrade of the same rebellious spirit that had already plagued Israel in the past and would only grow stronger in the future. But still, a very significant decision. In the story of Israel, this was a massive moment, and we see the Lord's hand at work in it. One of the primary ways that we see this is in what he outright says. The Lord is quoted three times in this story. There are three sentences or, or thoughts that are attributed totally to the spoken word of God. Now, the first two, though spoken a day apart, are presented to us in immediate succession. They're found in verses 16 and 17. We read that the Lord said to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. And then when Samuel sees Saul, the Lord says to him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. It is he who shall restrain my people. And the third is at the very end of the story, and at the end of chapter 10. It's the Lord revealing a hiding Saul, saying, He has hidden himself among the baggage. So from these words, we can learn that the Lord is a God who hears his people. He's heard their cry, and he's stepping in to help them. We know that he's a God that has compassion and mercy on a people that don't deserve it. And more on that later. But above those things, I, I think the biggest thing that these verses specifically are about is about God's planning. He knew Saul was going to be king long before it happened. The Lord doesn't wing things. He doesn't improvise. And he isn't surprised by anything I was surprised by anything. Not only did he know in advance, but he orchestrated events so that his plan would come to fulfillment. And this bleeds down to his workers, too. Look at what Samuel tells the cook when it's time to eat at the feast. Verse 23 and 24 reads, And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. Look at the intentionality here. We have back-to-back -back, uh, phrases here of it was kept for you. Um, when something repeats in Scripture, it's very important. Before Samuel had ever met Saul, before he knew who he was or what he looked like, he told the cook to set aside a choice portion of meat. For who? 
for whoever the Lord was going to bring. Samuel took active steps to be ready for the Lord's plan, even while he was unsure of what it was going to look like. And while Saul was blissfully unaware of what was going on, the Lord made sure that even in the smaller things, like what he was going to eat, he got the king's portion. That should have been a pretty good clue to him, and it shows us the intricate details and the precision of God's plan. Secondly, we find that the Lord is granting a request that he doesn't really like or agree with. Chapter 8 isn't really a part of our text today, but uh, there's some crucial information in there about the Lord's opinion on kingship. I invite you to turn back a chapter real quick to see what it is. The Lord doesn't want Israel to have a king. He wanted them to follow him and him alone. Having a king was a result of them wanting to be like other nations. Israel sees the people around them and wants to imitate the way that they live. But Israel wasn't supposed to be like other nations. They were supposed to be the Lord's. The language that's used here is that of someone who's hurt. Samuel tells Israel in, chapter, in uh, verse 19 of chapter 10 that they have rejected their God who saved them from countless calamities. And that, this he gets from the Lord here in chapter 8 verse 7. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. He sounds hurt, but, but almost resigned to it at this point. Samuel is new to Israel rejecting him. The Lord is not. This is what it's like, God seems to say. And yet, here they are, the Lord and his prophet, working to bring Israel a king. The Lord grants them their wish, even when it kind of breaks his heart. That's his character, his forgiveness. A third thing that we can discover about the Lord here is how he works with people exactly where they are. Saul did not have to completely change who he was before he became king. The Lord took him as he was. And when he gets his instructions from Samuel, after the descriptions of what will happen and the prophesying, Samuel tells him in verse 7, When these signs meet you, this is in chapter 9 again, When these signs meet you, or 10, sorry, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. God works with people in the circumstances that they're in. Exactly where Saul was, that's where the Lord was going to work with him. And speaking of those circumstances, the fourth thing that God, uh, fourth thing about God that can be found in this story is in that specific story of prophecy. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Some of the commentaries I looked at mention the irony of, of Saul having this antagonistic relationship with prophets going forward. They ne he never really got along with them that much in the future. And yet here, we find that Saul, just this once, was a prophet. Which might be why we find the questioning proverb, is Saul among the prophets? Really? That guy? But look, look to the circumstances of the prophecy. It says that they are right outside the Philistine garrison. They're enemies. And not just enemies, but but enemies who were oppressing and attacking them. Outside the fort where, where violent raids have been launched, have definitely been launched against Israelites, that is where they prophesy. I think that what we can gather from this is that 
The Lord is a God of boldness. The passage says that they were using instruments, harp and tambourine and flute. They weren't being subtle. There's no way to hide that. They were making a racket, and, and they were doing it right outside the Philistine garrison. The Lord is bold. This can also be a little foreshadowing of how Saul will be the tool that's used to beat back the Philistines. Here, he implicitly defies them, but they do it not through attack or through violence. They do it through praise. They speak the truth of the Lord in the presence of their enemies. It doesn't get any bolder than that. And finally, the fifth thing, we learn that the Lord loves to bless his people in the small ways, in the small things, as well as the big. And we see that in this simple little thing. The donkeys were found. It's not the point of this story at all. But Samuel could have very easily said, forget about the donkeys. There's far bigger things at stake here. But the Lord provided in this little way. Someone found and returned the donkeys. I love that. The Lord didn't have to do that. But it strikes me that he delights in blessings both big and small. So, the Lord orchestrates and plans. He grants requests that he wishes didn't happen. He works with people where they are. He's a God of boldness, and he loves to bless in the small things too. Now, moving on, before we talk about ourselves and Saul, there's one little note that doesn't really fit either category, but I want to touch on really quickly. A trait of God that we see frequently in Scripture is how he sides with the downtrodden. One of the hallmarks of Christ's ministry was that he didn't spend time with the important people, the priests and the Pharisees and the leaders and whatnot. He spent it with the people that didn't have a lot of influence and power, the uh, the people that were looked down on, the the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sick and the poverty-stricken. That is where he spent his ministry and time. That's where he invested. And in this story, we see that Saul actually doesn't know much about Samuel or about what the Lord is doing. But you know who does? His servant. The young women in verses 11 and 12. The people who didn't have as much of a voice are the ones that recognize the work of God. You could do an entire sermon series on this. The Lord smiles on those who society rejects. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verse 25, saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. There, it's the ones who aren't caught up in in the busyness and importance of life that recognize Christ. And as it was the unimportant who saw God then, so it's the unimportant that can point to him here. I just think that's cool. But piggybacking off of that, what can we learn about Saul and maybe ourselves here? As I just mentioned, his blindness to God's work, um, Saul's not really the best candidate for kingship in multiple ways. He's from a very small and unimportant tribe, which he knows and and he acknowledges that. Uh, He lists it as as a reason for maybe why he's not great for this. But the more concerning stuff is his character. He does come across as a little ignorant in this story not seeing what God was doing or following what Samuel was hinting towards. He's also 
somewhat cowardly. And, and we know with the benefit of the whole story that he's ultimately doomed to fail due to his ego and his selfishness and his fear. That's the stuff he doesn't know about and, and it bodes far worse. However, the Lord is able to use anyone. The prophesying seems to be a sign that, that Saul has been anointed, that he's been touched by God in times where he had doubts about his kingship. This time of prophecy could have served as a very visible, tangible confirmation of his calling. Something to remember, to look back on and say, yeah, that, that happened. I am called by God. The Lord called Saul and he used him, despite all of his flaws. For those of us who think that we're not good enough, I, I think this reminder is twofold. One, the Lord can and will work through anyone. And two, Sometimes those who appear more visibly suited for something might not necessarily be so in reality. Saul looked like a king. Remember, he was a head taller than everyone else and handsome. Told you I was going to come back. The people looked at him and they went, yeah, that's a leader. But that impressive physicality didn't really carry over to his actions or to his character. What's visible doesn't matter as much, nearly as much, as one's heart posture to the Lord. That's where Saul failed and where his successor, David, succeeded. Being good enough has nothing to do with what's visible and, and everything with, to do with how we look to the Lord. Another, another thing that I think we might be able to learn about ourselves from Saul is that we are very often blind to the way that the Lord is working. After we look at all the ways that the Lord moved and influenced in this story, it can be very easy to say, how could anyone have missed that? God was so clearly at work in every step. But Saul missed it. And he missed it bad enough that even after he prophesied, he still hid among the baggage when called to be king. He doesn't see what the Lord is doing. And we can read the story and, and call him ignorant, but how often are we in the same boat? Is there stuff in our lives that the Lord wants to do, things he wants to accomplish, that we're blind to? Yes, is, is the answer. I don't want to make too many authoritative statements about other people's lives, but I'm pretty sure that there is more that the Lord wants from every single person here. None of us have reached the final form of a Christian with nothing left to learn or grow in. And if you have, please tell me how you got there. I'd love to know. But... But generally, I have found that the people in my life that I consider to be very mature in faith are also the people that have a very healthy sense of how short they fall and how they still have to grow. They know they can, they can always listen to the Lord more. There's always something more that the Lord wants to work in us. I'll remind us all of something that Ernie has said multiple times, advising us not to pray that the Lord would give us opportunities to grow or work in the kingdom, but rather pray for eyes to see the opportunities that are already there. It's not, Lord, give me opportunities. It's, Lord, let me see the opportunities. The Lord is at work already. Are we looking for him? And finally, Saul does indeed hide among the baggage at the end. What are we to make of this? Is this a bad sign? Is it a showing of cowardice? Or is it a good sign? It's, it's a demonstration of humility. It's proof that he doesn't crave power. 
I'm not entirely sure. It kind of reminds me of how the Lord called Moses from the burning bush in Exodus 3. Moses provides four different excuses for why he shouldn't be called. And after the Lord answers all of them by saying that he'll be with him and he'll work through him, Moses just straight up says, Lord, please don't send me. By comparison, hiding among the baggage until they pull you out and then accepting what's happened is not that bad. Moses is praised for his humility. Is this not humility? Well, firstly, the Lord did get frustrated with Moses. And it turned out very well for Moses in the long run, but I don't think that initial rejection of the call was a positive thing. And in Saul's case, as we look at his life to come, I think it shows a lack of dependence on the Lord. Saul's life was one of of fear and ego, and I don't think that's as paradoxical as it sounds. Sometimes he was terrified, and other times he was proud and, and tyrannical. But I think both of those stemmed from the same issue that we see here. He doesn't trust the Lord. He doesn't trust the Lord. So when he has nothing, he considers himself nothing. He doesn't think of himself as God's faithful servant, something that David clearly considers himself even when he has nothing. And when he has, he lives either in fear of it being taken away or he pridefully considers himself better than others. And all of this, I think, is rooted in a lack of faith, a lack of trust in the Lord which we can see here. He doesn't trust the Lord to to take care of him, to have a good plan for his life. So he lives in fear. And he hides among the baggage. How often is this us? How often do we not trust the Lord and think that we have to look out for ourselves or everything around us is going to come crashing down? I can understand Saul's thought process. And many times I think I'm closer to him than I am to David. I think I may, I may have hit among the baggage too. It's scary to trust the Lord. But, but stepping out into the unknown and following the Lord's plan is far better, far better than our own complacency. It can be difficult and frightening, but we're not made to sit with the suitcases. We're made to follow the Lord. And despite the, the fears and risks to walk to the front of the gathering of Israel, And trust him. Oh, that that our response to seeing the work of the Lord would be less like Saul and more like Isaiah, for example. Isaiah sees the undeniable presence of God and he says, Here I am, Lord, send me. Saul hesitates and he hides. And the Lord can still use that and does still use him. We look at the story of Jonah who gets a call from the Lord and immediately charters a boat as far as he can go in the other direction. And the Lord still uses him. In some ways, these stories in Scripture can be of great comfort to us. Even when we start poorly, that doesn't mean that we can't finish well. You're never too far gone for the Lord. And that's incredibly important to hear. But it's also kind of a shame that these stories start like this at all. Again, my prayer for all of us here is that we can respond to the Lord's call like Isaiah or or like Elisha who immediately sacrifices his his team of cattle and follows and not like Saul. That's not easy. Christ himself grappled with the call 
and the mission that he had. And he wrestled with the overwhelming nature of it. Think of him in Gethsemane, praying and sweating and asking for the cup to be taken from him. It undeniably weighed on him. But he never ran or hid from it, even when he had tremendous temptation to do so. And ultimately, he's the example that we're to look towards. Now, speaking of call, the, the Lord doesn't have a special call for all of us to be the king of a nation like he did for Saul. But he has called each one of us to follow him, to be his special servants, his beloved children. That applies to each and every one of us. And many times it's no easier than being a monarch. It's not a cakewalk. But knowing that the Lord is with us, we can have the confidence in, have confidence in following him fully, We don't need to be unsure or hesitant. We can be bold. He's a God of boldness, and we can be bold as we follow. We have a positive example of that here, prophesying by the Philistine garrison, and we have a negative one, hiding among the baggage. That that faux humility of hiding doesn't apply here. The Lord wants to use us. And where does he want to use us? Wherever we are. I remind you of chapter 10, verse 7. Do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I can't tell you how often in my life I've wanted to hear specific instructions from the Lord. I've prayed, Lord, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I feel lost and overwhelmed. Just give me specific orders and I'll follow them, no matter how hard they are. But that's not really how it's worked for me. I've never really experienced an explicit, undeniable call from the Lord to a certain place or role. My life has kind of been making choices and then trying to follow the call of the Lord in those choices. I don't think it's like there's only one right answer for each decision I make. And whenever I don't pick the one that the Lord wants, I'm off track. And that can sometimes be the case in very obvious choices. But but even then, like Israel wanting a king, the Lord can move and work even when he's not pumped about the decision. And we read here that Whatever our circumstances are, whatever our jobs or roles or situations we find ourselves in, whatever choices we make, the Lord is with us there. He wants to use us where we are, and we can have confidence in him if we're actively trying to follow him. What my hand finds to do this week will be different than what your hand finds to do. We're in different circumstances. But whatever those are, God is with us there. Let's pursue him in whatever our hands find to do. He's at work, whether we can see it or not. So let's look. Let's try and get in on the kingdom work that the Lord is doing. Let's not fall like Saul did into the strong trap of missing the Lord's work or running away from the call. Our intentional, forgiving, giving, Bold and and blessing God is calling us deeper. So let's leave the suitcases behind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that that you have called each and every one of us and you have uh, plans for us and, and deeds that you've prepared in advance for us to do and that we get to be your hands and feet in the world around us, Lord. We pray that that you would give us eyes to see those opportunities that are already there, Lord. 
and boldness to go after them, that we would see where you're working and that we would have the courage to, to, not, to not hide among uh, whatever the baggage of, of our life is, Lord, that we wouldn't run away from your call, but that we would boldly seek after it and that, uh, that we would have confidence that, that we can accomplish all things not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And that because we are in you, that you can work through us. We love you a lot, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. It was good looking at the call of Saul. Uh, for those of you who uh, who would like to, uh, here's the phone number. I haven't had a lot of uh, text messages, but you can gladly send in comments or questions. Uh, just kind of send it to that number, and I'll get it right here, and then we'll we'll talk about some of those. Um, one of the things that I noticed uh, right off earlier on in in your message was is you made the comment that God is not surprised by any of our situations. Mm. And I know that that's one of those things that for a lot of us we've we've thought of we've probably thought of lots of times before, but um, I think it's one of those things that we have to keep reminding ourselves of, mm. because it seems like every time I walk into a new situation that is different than what I thought it would be, it's like, well, oh, here we are, brand new. Yeah. And it's like, no, in this situation, God's not surprised. And if I'm surprised, I feel like. Everyone should be, I guess, right? Like this idea that <laughs> yeah. who could have seen this coming? The Lord did. <laughs> okay, let's see. I'm going to read this just without, without filter. Let's see if we can do that. <laughs> Given that God isn't thrilled to call a king and that, Sam, uh, and that they'll regret it. Uh, sorry, around, uh, I'll read this again. You know my eyes, hey? Given that God isn't thrilled to call a king and has Samuel, that they'll regret it. They, and given, that, given what kind of king Saul turns out to be, what should we infer about who God chooses? Did God pick a king he knew would fail on purpose? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, I man. love it when the, the good questions are going towards you. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh man. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, if you, I gotta think I, about that. I, that's there's a lot there. Um, yeah, you, know, you could say that about any given situation, I guess. Why did the Lord put the tree in the garden if He knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat from it? Like, why did He? Why would He create situations where there's a chance that what He wants isn't going to happen? I think a lot of that comes down to he wants us to choose, right? Well, and there was there was a chance that Saul was going to follow the Lord faithfully. Did he didn't? Did everything that Saul did was everything that Saul did bad? No, he no, accomplished like, a lot, right? Yeah. So, so did God God choose him for a time to be able to accomplish what he needed to mm. accomplish? And ultimately, it. It, we, we look and we can easily see the failure like immediately right off the right. bat, right? Um, but what is it? That's a, that's a super yeah. hard question. Who you, there's a, your, your master's thesis. Yeah, there. yeah. Can, <laughs> I'll come back to you in a couple you can, years on you that can, one. <laughs> can work. Anybody else have anything that they want to send in? 
if not, then I, I have one, one other question here mm. um, that, I, that I thought of, so it's coming from me. Okay. Uh, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God is doing. Is that the best use of our time? Or should we rather spend more time being still in submission to Jesus? Mm. Right? Like, like you made the comment that, that um, Saul was used by God, and yet Saul was not necessarily aware of what it was that God was doing. Yeah. But it seems like there's, in, in, uh, in modern Christianity, that there is this really strong desire to figure out what God is doing in every situation, mm. right? Like early starts of COVID, what is God trying to accomplish, you know, through this, right? Yeah. right? And we're trying to like mine down to the, to the most basic levels to try and figure out exactly what's happening. Mm. Um, can we just admit that, that really we don't have a, like <laughs> we don't really know exactly what God's doing? but that what we're called to be is to be faithful and to be still in the midst of that. That was, that was sort of yeah. one of, one of the, my thoughts. And, what do you, and we see, I think, that like Saul's successor, David, is one that succeeds in a lot of ways where Saul fails. But the biggest one, I think, is that as we read over and over again, he's the man after God's own heart. And, and he's closer to the heart of God and can see what God's doing more than Saul did. And we read like this, and the Psalms are full of him constantly just sitting before the presence of the Lord, right? And just a pouring out of his soul and just a time invested of just like being with the Lord, right? In a way that I doubt Saul did. And I wonder if there's not uh, a crossover there. Yeah. Well, and even Samuel was, was confused by the, what the voice of God was, right? Like, right, yeah. Right. And so there's, there's this under. Yeah, this interesting kind of picture. Uh, there's another comment that just says, "Be careful what you wish for and pray for," and, mm. and I think that that's. Uh, I think we <laughs> we all have to do that, but but I think we when we look at the opportunities that we have, it's it's amazing. We what we have as far as the ability to be able to accomplish things this week because of the power of God in us mm. is actually far greater than what we can ever comprehend. Mm. Um, our, our job is to, to be there waiting for him and then to step forward in faithfulness when, when the opportunities arise. Thank you very much.